the Financial Sense Lifetime Planning Program. Here's your host, Jim Poplava. Right around this time, a very important date is coming up here. It's open enrollment for Medicare. There's all kinds of rules you need to be aware of. Joining me on the program is Brian MacArthur from designmymedicare.com. Brian, why don't we go through some simple rules for our listeners. When you turn 65 and you have this enrollment period, correct me, isn't it somewhere like October 15th to December 15th? What are the dates? Yes, it's October 15th to December 7th. And Brian, why is it just this period of time and who does it apply to? Is this for new Medicare enrollees or let's say that I I don't turn 65 until, let's say, January of next year? Explain what my options are given those two different dates. Certainly, Jim. So the answer to your first question is, I don't know why the open enrollment period is in the fourth quarter. Um, I have a a parent at my kid's school who grew up in Belarus. And there was one year I was mentioning to him that my busy season was coming up and he's a business owner. And he said, yeah, this is this very short period where you only get seven weeks. I said, yes. And he said, this makes no sense. Um, and it, it required somebody who was not American to point out how little sense it makes. But here we are. And it's a seven-week period um, where people who are currently enrolled into Medicare have opportunities to make plan changes if plan changes are uh, necessary. Outside of that seven-week open enrollment period, really the only way to do an enrollment would be if you're going on Medicare for the first time or you have some special election period, perhaps losing employer uh, coverage or moving you know, outside of the county. But we have this have this narrow seven-week window where anybody who's on Medicare can make Medicare changes if changes are necessary. So let's talk about a situation where I turn 65, but I'm still working at a company where I have medical coverage. Explain what the rules apply to me. I'm still working versus, let's say, somebody that turned 65, they're now retired. Explain what the rules are regarding both situations. Right. And that's a terrific question, especially for your audience, Jim, because typically if people have a relationship with Paplava, they're typically good savers because you need to be a good saver to be a client of um, financial sense and and, and your organization. Um, And additionally, Jim, while everybody is eligible for Medicare at age 65, 65 is not old anymore. And a lot of your listeners and and clients uh, within your firm have quite a bit of autonomy in their careers. They're not exactly all counting down the days till age 65. So they're happily employed and and have some autonomy to adjust their careers to allow them to continue to work with some enthusiasm past age 65. That being said, the amount of mail that any 64-year-old gets from the Medicare industry, or starting at 64 anyway, is insane. Um, The whole Medicare industry knows that you're turning age 64 and all of the marketing you get is very fear-based driven, Jim. It's uh, deadlines, penalties, consequences. And yes, those things are possible. Whether they're probable is an entirely different story. So to answer your question, a lot of you know the the, the people who 
who trust you with their uh, financial planning um, are going to work past age 65, but they all appreciate a gentle introduction to Medicare at age 64, typically at the conclusion of that gentle introduction to Medicare, we both agree they should stay on their employer benefits. Now, there are some exceptions, but if I'm generalizing, I'm going to say probably 90% of the time when I speak to a 64-year-old who's going to continue working uh, past their 65th birthday, we typically agree that they should stay on their employer benefits and delay their Medicare enrollment. Now, there are some criteria to make sure that the employer-sponsored health insurance that you have does meet minimum Medicare standards so that you are not subject to late enrollment penalties. I would say that the amount of people who are concerned about late enrollment penalties is much larger than the amount of people who are actually going to be exposed to late enrollment penalties. So typically, it can be relatively uneventful, but everybody likes to make sure at age 64. Now, one of the other questions people get, even when I tell them, hey, stay on your employer-sponsored health insurance, is people say, okay, Brian, but aren't I supposed to do something at age 64, approaching age 65? You're supposed to enroll in Medicare Part A, it doesn't cost you anything, doesn't do a whole lot for you. It's also the only part of Medicare that there's no late enrollment penalties for. So it's actually relatively consequence-free whether people enroll in Part A at age 65 or not. I find, Jim, the biggest advantage to en enrolling people in Part A at age 65, even if they're going to remain on their employer-sponsored health insurance, is them feeling like they just cannot be accused of having done nothing at age 65, which is actually a really powerful motivator. But if people are going to keep on working, it's always helpful to get that gentle introduction at age 64. But more often than not, I'm advising people to remain on their employer plan. Yeah, I would think that, you know, when you take a look at the cost of medical care, I know some employers, when an employee turns 65, they will pay for the supplemental insurance as the employee goes on Medicare. So let's talk about this penalty if you don't. So let's say I just retired. So I left my employer. I no longer have medical coverage. I can't see why people would not enroll because who at age 65, Brian, would want to be age 65 with no medical insurance? Right. And that's a, an excellent point. Really, Nobody does nothing. The people are understandably concerned about going without coverage. It's highly, it's not impossible for that to happen. It's highly unlikely. And it's also, I'd say, from my perspective, very easy to navigate them in a way that we don't even need to worry about that happening. And let's talk about the difference between Medicare. I was really surprised when I went on Medicare. A lot of the things they don't cover and what they do cover is not as much as what its actual cost is. So I, I want to move on to supplemental insurance next, but uh, let's talk about the things Medicare is apt not to do. Yeah. So generally speaking, from a health insurance standpoint, Medicare is pretty terrific. Now, there are some things that people should prepare for Medicare not covering, but um, as it relates to just bread and butter health insurance, Medicare, and I'm being silly and serious at the same time, Jim, especially with a Medicare supplement plan, I usually tell people that Medicare 
covers almost everything except for uh, you know elective surgery and the shingle shot. Now, to elaborate on on that, the other outlier at times would be annual physicals, which most people are kind of curious about. They would think Medicare covers annual physicals. Um, Medicare covers a welcome to Medicare annual physical one time, but it's not annual. That being said, most people I find really never get a bill for an annual physical because a lot of doctors tend to bill that as a wellness exam, which Medicare does cover. So the fact that annual physicals are not covered is actually really almost never an issue in in, in my uh, experience. Outside of those uh, three things, you know, Medicare on its own, Jim, does not cover dental insurance or vision insurance or hearing insurance or podiatry. Um, that being said, of course, you can go out and buy insurance for that or attach it to your Medicare supplement plan. Usually when you use a Medicare supplement plan, you're buying those riders a la carte. The alternative to a Medicare supplement plan, as you may know, is a Medicare Advantage plan. And those actually have very, very low, very often no monthly premiums. Um, again, there's no utopia, there's trade-offs, but both options are, are pretty wonderful relative to what we all had prior to going on to Medicare. Medicare Advantage plans, and I know it sounds kind of wacky that the plans with no monthly premiums throw in all the freebies, but many Medicare Advantage plans will include enough of a vision benefit that clients can and should resist the temptation to buy separate vision insurance because the very best vision insurance on the very best day, Jim, is just okay. So if 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 you get some vision benefit built into a plan that costs you nothing with a Medicare Advantage plan, and the reason it costs you nothing is that the government is paying the insurance company quite well. Um, Medicare Advantage plans also are starting to include dental benefits. Those dental benefits can range from valueless to you if your dentist is not in network and and your and the benefit is an HMO benefit. More and more so lately though, the dental benefits included in Medicare Advantage plans tend to be more and more robust. So it it the dental benefit might be slightly better than nothing. It actually could be quite robust. And of course, if there's any disparity between the dental insurance you were used to at work versus what a Medicare Advantage plan offers, um, you can always you know, pay to buy a, a, a rider. But I will say in certain markets, the embedded dental benefit, the benefit that's just built into this plan that may cost you almost nothing or maybe nothing, um, sometimes could also be pretty substantial. And the same applies for you know hearing aids and that sort of thing. Ryan, with the advantages of a Medicare Advantage plan where it covers, let's say, dental, hearing, or even eye care, why wouldn't individuals opt for Advantage over a regular Medicare program? What's the disadvantage of an Advantage program? Great question. So, Jim, I, I think you and I are kind of like-minded. We, we're we non-utopians, right? We operate in a world of, of just trade-offs, and it's just very important for us to understand those trade-offs and to help other people understand those trade-offs. So, speaking in broad brushstrokes, I typically would describe a Medicare supplement plan as something that might feel like the sexiest PPO plan ever probably not supposed to use adjectives like that or superlatives, but Medicare supplement plans often feel like 
the equivalent of the best PPO somebody's ever had, although there is a monthly premium. Um, the monthly premium is actually quite tolerable to you know most clients who are have enough assets and income to engage in financial planning. Um, the the other bookend of that for many years, if you will, was a Medicare Advantage plan that had no monthly premium, which does not mean it's crummy coverage. It's actually magnificent coverage. Um, the trade-off, generally speaking, with Medicare Advantage is that they're network-based plans. Now, for a long time, it was very polarizing. Medicare Supplement felt like the sexiest PPO ever, and Medicare Advantage would feel like the sexiest HMO ever. The benefit of Medicare Advantage was no monthly premium. The trade-off if someone feels like this is a trade-off, Jim, and they may or may not, is that they were typically HMO plants. They were magnificent HMO plants, but you know the deal with that, Jim. Your primary doctor is like your quarterback. He or she has to refer you to specialists. Um, they will always refer you to their home team specialists within their own medical group, barring un unusual circumstances. And you're just allowing your primary doctor to quarterback your care. Now, if you're in an HMO in a major metropolitan area, being limited to one medical group is probably not very limiting, but let's just be clear, it's an HMO. So you're not hopping over to Albuquerque for a second opinion with complete autonomy the way a Medicare supplement plan would allow you to do. So it was very polarizing. You pay a monthly premium for a terrific PPO, or you could pay no monthly premium for a terrific HMO. Um, now what's starting to happen, Jim, is there's starting to be an abundance of PPO Medicare Advantage options that are kind of like Goldilocks's porridge, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just right. So it kind of sits in the middle. The good news is it feels like a PPO. You would only use a plan that your doctors were in network with because just like any other PPO, your copays are lower when you stay in network. You can go anywhere you want without a referral. Um, you can go out of network. You're going to try not to do that with a PPO Medicare Advantage plan because just like any other PPO you've ever been on, it costs more to go out of network. And most of us, Jim, find it's not that difficult to stay in network. So a Medicare Advantage PPO plan would feel very similar to a Medicare supplement in that way, but it would cost very similar to an HMO Medicare Advantage plan because very often these PPO Medicare Advantage plans have low or even no monthly premium. So I always try to help people understand the trade-offs in a very agnostic way. I will share with you that seven years ago, if I was speaking to a client at Paplava, most people were a bit more preconditioned towards a Medicare supplement plan because a lot of your listeners and clients are used to PPOs. Now, if I lay out Medicare supplement for a monthly premium, Medicare Advantage, HMOs for no monthly premium, and then once I set those bookends, I mention low or no monthly premium PPO Medicare Advantage plans. Um, a lot more clients find interest in that PPO Medicare Advantage plan. And the fact is, most of your clients can afford a Medicare supplement premium. Um, but once they understand the trade-offs, they say, gosh, I can afford this, but why am I paying anything if I could have this PPO Medicare Advantage plan? Now, there are a couple little trade-offs there, but one of the analogies I give is I I tell people, look, you know, you're paying a monthly premium for Babe Ruth and it's the coverage is terrific. You might be able to get Lou Gehrig for free. Um, and that's kind of the way I introduce the conversation about weighing the trade-offs between Medicare supplement 
and a Medicare Advantage PPO plan. And there's a few more differences that I uh, don't want to get too granular now, but I will say there's been a lot of appetite for these PPO Medicare Advantage plans, especially since costs are rising in every area of our household. So those PPO Medicare Advantage plans are actually, there's a lot of appetite for people to learn about them, especially if they've been on a Medicare supplement plan with a premium. Well, let me get a little granular here because you know we work with the retired clients and I'll give two examples. Two men, both of them had prostate cancer. One was in a Advantage plan, uh, basically with Kaiser, and the other one had the Medicare PPO version of it. The one with the PPO chose to go to Loma Linda and get proton beam radiation, and that was paid for. The person that had the Medicare Advantage plan could not go to Loma Linda and got regular radiation for his prostate treatment because that's what the, that particular HMO used. So there's, there's the advantage and, I guess, disadvantage uh, between both programs explained in uh, one particular disease. Right. And that's that's a good point. Now, for just because your listeners are across the country, Kaiser Permanente is probably the benchmark HMO model, Southern California and other parts of the country. So if somebody's at Kaiser, they have to be on a Kaiser Permanente HMO plan. Now, what's curious about Kaiser without making any broad statements is the only way to on Medicare to access your Kaiser doctors who work at the Kaiser Medical Group who would send you to uh, radiation treatment through the Kaiser system and let you go to the Kaiser hospital is to buy the Kaiser Permanente Insurance Company's Medicare Advantage plan. So it's it's a very, very closely held organization. Um, so that is definitely an HMO model. Um, somebody with a Medicare supplement plan where they're paying a monthly premium or perhaps even a PPO Medicare Advantage plan would have way more autonomy to do some research, speak to friends who have been through similar treatment or you know find online support groups and track down the very best prostate cancer oncologist or you know on on oncology center. Um, an HMO you just have to keep in mind is that everything is running through that primary doctor and specifically that primary doctor's medical group. So, um, so, so that is probably the situation you laid out is probably the very best example of the trade-off that people should think ahead about. I mean, if you're in an HMO and you feel like no matter what life throws at you, you are comfortable having your primary care medical group quarterback where you go for treatment, an HMO would probably be just fine. Um, a lot of your listeners and clients are more predisposed towards having a bit more autonomy. Um, and a Medicare supplement plan would certainly do that. And a, a PPO Medicare Advantage plan would do that um, with a few extra trade-offs. But that's a really good example. I, I, I will share with you that as agnostically as I try to lay things out, I did have a couple early in my career that I you know laid out both sides and they chose an HMO plan locally in San Diego. Um, each year, as, as you know, I do annual reviews with clients. And uh, two years ago, during the annual review, they asked me if they could move to a Medicare supplement plan, um, which they were unable to do because 
since they did not choose a Medicare supplement plan immediately, where they would have had guaranteed acceptance into that supplement, they chose a Medicare Advantage plan that was working quite well. And it was an HMO, but it was working well until it wasn't. Well, then suddenly the wife got cancer and they wanted to move to Medicare supplement and they would have had to answer health questions. And we did not even go down that road, Jim, because I knew that no insurance company will you know, take someone with cancer if they already know they're in treatment. And they just accepted that they had to stay in the same plan. A year later, I did another annual review and the wife had just passed away and the husband um, I mean, she had passed away like three days prior and he started asking about moving to the Medicare supplement plan, which was an option for him because he was healthy. And I said, well, we can, you know, look at doing that, you know, but he was also considering going from no monthly premium to a monthly premium, which is far from the only concern, but I just wanted to point it out. And I'll never forget what his response was, Jim. He, he just reaffirmed his interest in going to a Medicare supplement plan, or at least something that feels like a PPO. And he just said, you know, I just feel like we wasted so much time waiting for referrals with the HMO. And I think that is potentially the biggest trade-off for people to uh, consider. And at that point, again, it was very polarizing. Um, I live in San Diego County, as do you, and the client lives in San Diego County. There's actually not a bunch of PPO Medicare Advantage plans in our county yet, so it is still very polarizing. Um, Many people listening to this live in counties where, once again, there's starting to be an abundance of PPO Medicare Advantage plans, so that, that, that kind of mitigates a lot of that potentially high consequence trade-off because there is something in the middle that still doesn't cost a lot and gives you the autonomy to to seek out the what you feel is the best treatment for you. I want to talk about something that does arise, and this is very important from a tax point of view. So let's assume that you have a regular Medicare program where you pay supplemental insurance. Uh, let's talk a little bit, Brian, about the tiered rates for Medicare based on your income. Most people don't realize that if, when they go into higher income tax brackets, there's also like five or six Medicare premium brackets. So the higher your income, and where most people will get caught up with this is they have, let's say one year, uh, the stock market's doing well, and they take some capital gains, and those capital gains bump their income up. And all of a sudden now, they're looking at higher Medicare premiums. So it's not just federal capital gains tax, it's state capital gains tax, and it's also higher Medicare tax. Let's talk about that for a moment. Yes, uh, and and it's a very, very relevant topic for a lot of your listeners and a lot of your clients. Because of course, if I'm speaking broad brushstrokes, people who are interested in financial planning usually have either assets that they've saved or high income or, or both. Um, I suspect and I have no way to prove this, that I probably guide more people through this topic than anyone in the country. Now, I have no way to prove that. It's just because everything I do is is, is helping clients of, of financial advisors. But um, it's it's a very important topic. So the, the one monthly premium that clients pay directly to the government is their Part B premium, B like Bravo. Um, and that is 
your medical insurance. You know, really part B covers 80% of your medical bills and none of your medications. Uh, part A covers the, the cost of a hospital bed. So, so the government gives you part A and B together. I'm generalizing, but let's just say part A and B cover 80% of your medical bills, none of your meds. Part A has no monthly premium for almost everybody. Part B will cost the average American $170 per month, 170, Jim. But um, that number can and will and does go up based on your income. So when I'm speaking to, let's say, a, a married couple, the first question I like to ask them is, the, the real benchmark that we're looking for, Jim, is modified adjusted gross income. And you and I know, Jim, nobody has that memorized, nor should they. So usually what I'm t- saying to somebody, let's just say who's going on Medicare January 1 of 2023, is, okay, your first year on Medicare will be 2023. The federal government is going to look at your tax return from two calendar years prior. So in 2023, they would look at your 2021 tax return. Now, I don't expect anybody to have the number memorized, so I usually just say, hey, shooting from the hip, would you guess that your modified adjusted gross income in 2021 was over or under $182,000? And most people are able to shoot from the hip and say it was you know, over or under. If it was under, I say, okay, Is, was 2022 also under? They say yes, and I, I just start asking questions. Hey, moving forward, especially with you retiring, do you foresee your joint modified adjusted gross income getting above 182000 anytime in the near future? And most people or a lot of people will say no. And then I'll say, okay, so you're going to pay the minimum Part B premium of $170 per month per spouse for Medicare Part B. Now, what happens with a lot of uh, your clients is they say, yeah, we earned over 182,000 in 2021. And my next question is, okay, did you earn over 340,000? And some amount of those people will reply yes. And then I like to ask, okay, was that an anomaly or does that happen pretty consistently? And a lot of people will reply, well, no, that was an anomaly. I was, you know, retiring, I exercised some or all of my stock options um, or I sold a business or something like that. And I tell them, okay, well, What's going to happen if you earned over 340000 is where the average American pays $170 a month for Part B, uh, you will pay closer to $600 a month, which is a heck of a lot more than $170 a month. My next question is asking them, okay, well, once you get into 2023, assuming your liquidity events are over, you know, selling businesses, exercising stocks, maybe... Uh, any any near-term plans to sell rental properties are over, and you're just living on your steady eddy retirement income that you've planned for in your financial plan, do you think that you'll be living on less than 182000 in retirement? And many clients, even who've had that big spike in 2021, Jim, will reply, yes, you know, in steady eddy income, we'll live on less than 182000 And that's a very common situation with a lot of your listeners and clients. And I tell them, okay, what's going to happen is you're going to get this big, ugly invoice for coming up on January 1, 2023, saying you owe $600 a month. 
However, we all know that in 2023, you're going to earn way less than that and even less than 182000 So you're not trapped at that big, ugly premium, Jim, because you know in 2024, the government's going to look at your 2022 return. 2025, they look at 2023. So it will go down. But the government's actually quite reasonable, Jim, about allowing you to redetermine that Part B premium prematurely. They're not looking to trap you into paying $600 a month in a year when your income has dropped. So there is a form that I help people fill out and submit called Form SSA44. So SSA as in Social Security Administration dash 44. And basically what people are doing there, Jim, is they're declaring a life-changing event, which for almost all of your clients and listeners is work stoppage. And you're basically saying to the government, hey, guys and girls, please stop looking at my income from two years ago. We had a life-changing event, which was work stoppage. And they ask you to document that, which most people can with you know some screenshot from their employer's HR site or, or just something that a rational government employee would say, okay, yeah, this person stopped working. And then they make an argument for what their current likely modified adjusted gross income will be. And if they said under 182,000, the government's very reasonable about bringing that couple from paying the maximum amount for Medicare Part B down to the minimum amount and allowing them to do that prematurely. So it's a great option and pretty much Anybody who I speak to, I try to uncover whether they're going to have that type of higher income penalty or premiums uh, immediately, because a lot of times that Part B premium can actually be the lion's share of the monthly premium they pay to the government. Well, this is something really important, that Brian, that I always try to emphasize to clients, because this is uh, what I call the gotcha. So let's say you're under that 182000 You've been at the lower level uh, since you started retirement. But let's say we've had 10 years of a bull market. Uh, You're getting a little bit nervous about what the Fed's doing. And all of a sudden, you take capital gains. And I I, I try to tell clients, once you take those capital gains taxes, uh, you you don't get that money back. So if you pay 23.8 on federal, you can pay up to 13.3 here in the state of California. Plus, if you get over 182,000 as a result of your capital gains, you could also get get bumped up on your Medicare. So there are tax consequences to your investments. So you got to be real careful there. Well, Brian, listen, as we close, if our listeners would like to find out more information about how you help people with Medicare, tell them how they could do so. Certainly, Jim. So, of course, they can reach out to whoever they have a relationship with um, at Financial Sense and your organization. Um, if they did want to reach out to me directly, they can go to designmymedicare.com. And there is a link there where they can choose the day and time when they would like me to call them. It goes right into my calendar and I treat it like a sport to call people the minute they ask me to. We can do Zoom or phone. And usually when they're setting that up, I ask them you know, how they were introduced to me. And I would encourage people to mention that they uh, heard about this conversation on your show. And that helps me um, understand the 
path of accountability. It's very important to me that any interaction that your listeners have with me uh, reflects positively on you know your show and your outstanding financial planning firm. All right. Well, listen, thanks for joining us. And once again, folks, this is that time of the year. So if you're turning 65 or maybe you got a program and you're thinking, eh, maybe I might want to change it. Are there better opportunities or savings for me? This is the time to do it. All right, Brian, thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. If you find yourself falling within the category that we discussed today, or if you do need assistance with estate planning, tax planning, or our wealth advisory services, Jim, would you mind telling our listeners the best way that they can get in contact with us? Well, you can call toll-free 888-486-3939. That's 888-486-3939. Or another alternative, you can go to our website, financialsense.com, and just hit the contact button and send us an email. In the meantime, we'd like to thank you for listening. Have yourself a great week ahead. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour. Please be advised that you invest at your own risk.